Cold and cough season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Today, the province released a forensic audit into BC Housing, our provincial housing agency. Now, the verdict, rampant mismanagement, conflict rules clearly broken, and little to no accountability. In the legislature today, Premier David Eby said Shane Ramsey, the then-CEO of BC Housing, was actively breaking the conflict of interest agreement when it comes to decisions involving the Atira Housing Society. The society was led by his wife, Janice Abbott. Now, keep in mind, Mr. Ramsey was CEO of BC Housing for 22 years, and according to the Premier, Mr. Ramsey sent text messages and emails telling staff to direct grants to Atira, which was a violation of conflict of interest rules. Now, in total, Atira has received $120 million in funding since 2018. Now, the report released today says there were 24 occasions where Mr. Ramsey communicated with BC Housing employees about Atira. It was a clear violation, according to government. In July of 2022, Mr. E.B. fired the entire board at BC Housing, and in September of 2022, the CEO, Shane Ramsey, resigned. So lots to talk about today in regards to this report that's come out. Premier David Eby spoke uh, at the legislature earlier today when he announced the report's findings. Take a listen. The report found that the former CEO of BC Housing, quote, repeatedly violated the terms of the conflict of interest declarations and BC Housing standards of conduct, unquote, at page 42. And that, quote, the mismanagement of the conflict of interest had permeated the organization, unquote. While this investigation found no evidence of public funds being dispersed outside of their intended purpose or providing material benefit to any one individual, it's clear the practices at BC Housing under the old leadership were well short of our expectations. The report concludes that there was a conflict of interest breached by Mr. Ramsey, the former CEO, and breaches of conduct by the former chief financial officer. Joining me now to talk a little bit about this forensic uh, audit is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Keith, thank you for joining us. Quite, quite the report. It was quite the report. <laughs> Mr. Eby didn't mince words, certainly didn't mince words in the report either. Either, I mean, is this as brazen as it sounds in regards to how they described it? It, it certainly appears to be 50 pages. Almost every page contains like something you go, whoa. So um, evidence of deleted texts, of altering the minutes of a meeting. Basically, to and, and it's a, sort of a pattern of just shoving as much money to uh, Tira's way without any due process, without any tendering, just millions of dollars of contracts directly awarded to this firm, which was run by the uh, the CEO, which he was married to. Uh, it's um, it's a blatant conflict, obviously, but it's also a number of steps taken to sort of get around the conflict of interest rules, which were actually spelled out because they knew of this relationship. It's, it's quite an extraordinary report because the, the picture it paints is a culture of BC housing that allowed to fester and foster under Shane Ramsey that had uh, employees and, uh, now the need for some whistleblower protection because there were people there who knew what was going on, didn't like it, but they were obviously felt, uh, I think, for their own livelihoods, should they go public with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Public sector or private sector, there's just basic governance rules that you need to follow when you run large organization. How did BC Housing get to this point where the cu- culture 
was allowed to fester with this, with you know, this type of stuff happening. It, it should never happen. And we're not talking about some mom and pop operation. This is BC Housing. How did it, how did we get to this point? Well, I think BC Housing itself is relatively, in terms of its size, sort of a new thing. Um, even though it's been around for a while, it never really it's become a dominant uh, crown uh, corporation whose budget has exploded in recent years. And I just don't think there was any oversight or accountability in play here. I think also the need to build housing in the most you know most sorely needed areas, particularly the downtown east side and other impoverished districts, uh, you couldn't get money out fast enough to build the housing. So I think a lot of people either look the other way or didn't want to know what was going on because the end goal was to build housing and housing for people. And it was interesting at the news conference today, uh, both Housing Minister Ravi Kale and Premier David Eby uh, went out of their way to emphasize that if you live in housing um, owned or operated by a tier, you're not under threat here. And I think that speaks to the need for this housing. And there's only a few agencies out there that seem to be able to uh, position to deliver the goods. And we've seen, you know, remember there was an agency some years ago that got into hot water for shoveling contracts out the door, too, in the same landscape, the same area where social housing is sorely needed. So in this case, it was uh, the picture painted by Ernst & Young is quite ugly, but uh, it's also in an area of, of uh, spending that, I think a lot of people were willing to look the other way. Now, clear this up for me and for our audience. Mr. Eby was housing minister, and he asked the board to fire Mr. Ramsey, the BC Housing Board, to yeah, fire Mr. Ramsey? So what we learned today for the first time, if you go back to the firing, which took place in the dead of summer before a long weekend, never really got a full un, um, explanation from Eby for why this was done. Uh, the impression was left that it was because they were out of step with what the minister was looking for. And we assumed that was to do with housing policy. But it turns out today, David even disclosed for the first time, that they were, the board was fired because they refused to fire Ramsey. Uh, he said he could not say that at the time because of confidentiality requirements. And also, they did not want um, anyone to delete records or basically get rid of the evidence um, if uh, if uh, the board wasn't willing to uh, to dump Mr. Ramsey. So that's the first time we've learned that was the reason for getting rid of the board is they seem to be captured by Mr. Ramsey and they refused to take action against him and E.B., the minister, wanted this done and so the board had to go. And just to confirm, the board BC Housing was appointed by government, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So And that was a previous minister, Selena Robinson? Selena Robinson, and now the new board was appointed by E.B. as housing minister, and that includes largely former veteran civil servants um, who who worked for both under the BC Liberal government and the and the BC NDP government. So I'm going to assume people with um, government background, but legal background and and accounting backgrounds. Yes, yes, we've got people who've been a deputy minister. Um, Auditor General's office and such, uh, all with experience and not political appointees. So this previous board that refused to fire the CEO was appointed by Selena Robinson, a former minister, housing minister. She sits in cabinet today. She is a colleague of the premier. She is a colleague of the housing minister, Ravi Kalo. How does that work? That she, you know, she, she, the, she never appointed Shane Ramsey. Okay. He goes way back. He goes back. That to I know, the, yeah. She did appoint the board. Um, so the... Um, as housing minister. But, you know, I guess you could argue these things did not come to light under Selena Robinson's stewardship uh, when she was in, when she had responsibility for this file. Uh, Evie comes in, starts taking a look around, um, and doesn't like what he sees, and then sees that there's clear conflict and some questionable practices, to say the least, and wants to get rid of Ramsey. The board won't 
do that, so he fired the board. Mm. Now, uh, one of the things I, I think everybody's been asking here is, um, while there has been no uh, a mention of Ms. Abbott's, uh, who is running Atira's salary, the, the Vancouver Sun reports, and I want to clarify this, in 2020-2021, Mr. Ramsey, who was a public servant, was making $357,000 a year. The Vancouver Sun reports that uh, his wife, Janice Abbott, had a Vatira. Uh, they did not disclose her salary, but Atira's tax filings to the Canadian Revenue Agency show that uh, the top earner at the nonprofit takes home a salary of two hundred to two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars. So one assumes the person running Atira is the highest uh, salaried person there. So between two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Does this any any word yet whether or not Miss Abbott will stay ahead uh, heading Atira? No. Now, here's what's uh, going to happen, though, potentially, is uh, uh, Riley Kalon told me after the news conference today that as soon as he got this report, he froze any funding going to Atira. And so that's been a, a freeze that's in place for the last two months or so. That freeze will remain in place while an investigation continues. I, one has to, one can speculate that a condition BC Housing Board may put on future contracts with Atira is perhaps a change in personnel, uh, which could include her position uh, being terminated or her being replaced. We don't know that. She hasn't offered any comment. We did interview her on camera a couple of years ago about just uh, how they operate. We actually asked her on camera, how much do you make? And she told us that was none of our business. So uh, even though this is, you know, Atira got to $73 million last year of tax dollars. Uh, and they're getting a considerable amount of money, as you mentioned, since 2018. I forget what the figure is, but we're talking a significant amount of tax dollars that go to that, that company to build social housing. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that the, the Vancouver Sun was also reporting that uh, uh, Atira's costs related to, and I want to quote this, related to wages and benefits were much higher than uh, similar housing providers. It, it totaled 20 or 15% mm-hmm. of its operating budget compared to an average of 9% of operating costs for similar housing providers. So there's a lot of questions that still have not uh, been answered. I guess the, the question that's core key is we've got a huge challenge when it comes to housing. We've even bigger uh, challenge when it comes to affordable housing and those that are dealing with the mental health and addiction issues, those people who need the help the most, this is the last thing you expect from an organization like Atira and many others that this is what's happening with tax dollars. I mean, this is a, incredibly offensive, just the report itself. Well, yeah, it it covers a very unsavory situation. But keep in mind, we have seen other companies over the years uh, get involved in some questionable expenditure of of tax dollars through contracts when it comes to social housing. This seems to be one of the more egregious cases, particularly when you factor in the the conflict of interest situation that the top two people on either side uh, were were in. Again, it's it's questionable use of uh, tax dollars. Uh, but it was interesting. We asked uh, David Eby today, if there, is this go, does this go beyond uh, what we see and could this be fraud? And Ernst & Young could not find enough information to substantiate any that type of allegation. Well, it's going to be very interesting over the next few days. Not uh, over yet. Oh, it is not. We're going to have the Minister of Housing join us at 4 o'clock on this issue. Look forward to chatting with him on, on this as well. Keith, thank you. All right, take care.